Well, good morning, everyone. I want to say a special hello to our friends who are joining us in the Centrum and our video venue. Can we give them a round of applause? We are glad you guys are here, and specifically for this service, I know many of you guys can't be here um, if you're finding yourself away from our campus for whatever reason. Um, we want to let you know that we're praying for you as well. Um, and so, we are excited about this, this series we're going through called Road Trip, and if I were to invite you into our home, um, the very first thing you would see when you walked in the doors of our home, we have three photos um, that mean a lot to us. The first thing you would see is a picture of me and my now wife when we were engaged. The next picture is my wife and I on our wedding day. And the third picture is my wife, myself, and our little now 14-month-old daughter, which went way too fast on the day that she uh, was born. And those are special moments. And I'm going to bet if you were to invite me into your house, I would see similar things around your house. Memories of big moments that have happened in your life. Maybe you have memories or things framed, pictures of the loved ones that we've lost along the way. And they remind us of big moments or people who meant a lot to us in our lives. And the reason why I bring that up is because as we're going through Exodus, it's very interesting if you read it. Because here's a group of people who've been enslaved for 430 years. Before they were enslaved, God made a promise to them. He said, you're going to be my people. There's going to be a Messiah, a Savior. He's going to come from this nation. I'm going to give you this land that just happens to be in the place where three continents collide. And the boy's going to come to set everyone free. And he's coming from your nation. And yet for 430 years, they were enslaved. And so he's bringing them out of slavery. And in the process that throughout Exodus, you'll see them do this thing very often where they just hit pause. God wants the Israelites to hit pause and to focus and to remember who God is and what he's done. In fact, sometimes it even happens before it even happens before he performs a miracle. Before he shows up, he starts telling the Israelites, hey, I'm about to show up, and when I do afterwards, I want you to remember. So here's how I want you to remember. In fact, basically, Exodus 12, a huge part of Exodus 12 is him telling the Israelites, I'm about to do the Passover. I'm about to set you free. And afterwards, here's what I want you guys to remember. And this is in Exodus 12, verse 14. It says this, this is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. And the old, there's, there's a song that I used to sing as a child of the church I grew up at. You might have heard it. It's called Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. It was an old hymn. And there was a line in there that said, now I raise my Ebenezer. And I remember as a kid singing that. And I would literally picture raising Ebenezer Scrooge up. I thought it was some weird way to like say that I'm, you know, going to be more gracious with the way that I spend my time and the more gracious with the way that I spend my money. And so I, it wasn't until I was like in my 20s when I realized an Ebenezer in the Old Testament was when God would show up, what they would do is they would hit pause, they would grab rock formations, they would build it so that every time they passed that place, it would remind them of when God showed up. And it would be something that they would teach the generations to come. That thing there, that Ebenezer there, that's when God showed up and did this. And what I think God wants for us is to remember, to not forget who he is and what he's done. 
And part of the reason why we even go on vacations, right, is for that. When we go on road trips, it's to build memories. Sometimes we just go on vacations because we just need to get away, right? Like, I just need to go to Cabo, get away for a little bit. But other times, especially if we're going with groups of friends or especially if we're going with family, we are going to hopefully create memories. And what's tricky about vacations is you can't really force you can't really force memories to happen, but what you can do as a family, what you can do as a group of friends, is to create moments where maybe those memories will happen. Uh, my mom was in town from California this week, uh, so Nana was in town for our 14-month-old, which is a very special occasion around the house. She actually left this morning, um, early this morning. And so one of the things, and as when our family gets together, I have an older brother and two younger sisters. There were four of us, all within five years. And so going on vacations for us was very difficult. So my parents were creative on how we would go on vacations, and they usually, in fact, maybe the biggest memory we have when we get to together, they revolve around trips. One of them in particular, um, I remember my mom grew up in California and I grew up in East Texas. And so we were going to go visit her family and things were a little bit different back then. We had an old Suburban at the time. It was like a 10 year old Suburban. And I don't know if you remember Suburbans back then, for those of you who've been around a while, now they're like luxurious. Um, Back then, they were just like, here's a vehicle that can fit eight people and nothing really more to it. And so we had a really old Suburban and basically our vacation in the seatbelt seatbelt laws weren't quite as good as they are now. The whole, the whole vacation was my dad putting down one of the back seats, ripping out the third seat, putting everything we own on top of the Suburban, and basically with all four of us in separate sleeping bags, just rolling around in the back. Um, it was amazing. And we used to and what was funny is I, I don't, I'm sure my mom planned things along the way. I'm sure there were things we did on that vacation. I don't even remember them. What I remember was the journey itself. And when we get back together as a family, a lot of the conversations, when we think about memories, they happened on the road. And one of the reasons why we go on vacations is to create memories. And what I think is what God wants us to do is to sometimes hit pause, remember who he is, and remember what he's done. And we're going to look at a few reasons why today. And the first reason why, the first reason why I think it's important to remember who God is and what he's done is because when we do that, it helps remind us who and whose we are. When we remember who God is, it gives us a better view of who we are. We need to remember the Israelites, they were enslaved for 430 years, like I said. So even though they had this amazing promise, their fathers had never seen them living in freedom. Their grandfathers had never seen them living in freedom. Their great-grandfathers had never seen them living in freedom. And so what they had done is almost accepted this identity as a slave to the Pharaoh, and they acted accordingly. There's a tragic verse that shows up a few times, a tragic verse that said that the Israelites were so good at basically so good at being slaves that even Pharaoh, that they looked highly upon the Israelites because they worked so hard. They had identified with this identity of being a slave so much that whenever they were released, you find them over and over again in, the, in Exodus yearning to be enslaved again. And so what God is doing is saying, no, I have something better for you. I'm going to ask you to die to this identity as a slave and to live as this identity as my people. In Exodus chapter 6, it says this, the Israelites had a new identity. And here's their new identity. It was as God's people. 
Exodus 6 says, I will take you as my own people. That's who you are and whose you are. And I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out of under the yoke of the Egyptians. So no longer are you going to be Pharaoh's slaves. You are going to be my people. They had a new identity. And we have a new identity as well. Because of the gift of Jesus, we have a new identity in him that when God sees us, he sees us in new ways. And the New Testament mentions these phrases, these identities that how God sees us over and over again. And I could do a whole literal series on this. That would be so fun. But um, I'm just going to kind of mention a few. And in our sermon notes, if you want to pick these up on the way out, we wrote some Bible studies on these three identities that are found over and over again in the New Testament. Here they are. If we trust Jesus, we have new identities. And the first one that shows up over and over again is as a child of God, as a son or daughter of the king. And the benefits of being the son and daughter of the king because of our faith with Jesus. The second one is beloved that we are beloved, that I love that word beloved because it's an, there's an uh, action happening with it, that we are actively being loved by God because of the gift of Jesus. And maybe you've grown up like I have in a church and you have sang songs your whole life of how God loves us and how Jesus loves you. And I don't know if that lands on you. I don't know if we truly grasp how amazing it is that God is actively loving us, that he's fond of us that we are his beloved, that when he sees us, he doesn't see the inadequacies that we tend to see. He is actively loving us because we've accepted the gift of his son, Jesus. And the third one is saints. And I think this word is so powerful. All throughout the New Testament, almost every letter that Paul writes, he writes, starts by saying, to the saints in this church, to the saints in this church. And that's a word in our culture that depending on your background and what church you grew up in, you might not know what a saint means, or you might think it's a special person who's lived a certain life. But the New Testament says, if we have faith in Jesus, we are a saint, which means a holy one. We are a holy one. We have a new identity. Uh, when I was in college, uh, I used to get these letters from my mom, and it was awesome. Back in the day, and by the way, if you're like under 25, a letter was this thing that you had to use a pen, uh, and you had to write it, and then there was a stamp. Um, I was like right before the email era, so to hear from my mom, I either had to use this giant calling card with about 20 numbers, or I would get letters from her. And, and every one of her letters, and her letters were awesome because they always came with a package, or usually came with a package as well, which was great because I had goodies in it that I couldn't afford myself. Um, and so, but I remember at the bottom of every one of her letters, she would write four initials, R-W-Y-A, remember who you are. And I remember thinking, like, that's a cool saying. Later on, Lion King stole it from my mom uh, when Mufasa is looking down at Simba. and like, remember who you are, Simba. And my mom's like, ah, that's mine, Disney. Like, why are you stealing that from me? Um, but I don't think I understood the wisdom of that until, I was, until later in life. Because here's what my mom was doing. She was like, hey, Jason, I know you're at college. I know you're learning how to spend money in a way that you never have before. I know you're learning how to manage your time in a way that you never have before. I know you're being invited to different sorts of parties that around here were a little bit more difficult. And I just want you to know with every decision that you make, I want you to remember who you are. 
And the reason why I'm realizing that's important is because our identity drives our action. How we see ourselves, it drives the way that we behave. If you don't agree with me on that, just do any study on maybe the most controversial psychological experiment done in the United States. It happened in 1971 at Stanford University. The professor, what he did is he got 24 guys all from the same backgrounds, and what he did is he split them up, 12 guys over here, 12 guys over here. He, there was no reasoning to why he split them up. He just goes, okay, here's the deal. We're going to simulate a prison for two weeks. We're going to study you, and you guys are the prison guards, and you 12 are the prisoners. Have fun. The only rules, don't abuse them physically. You can't beat them up. But other than that, like that's basically what it is. Let's see how they react. And what you would assume were these 24 guys like, yeah, 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 I get it. This is like a study, but we're all students together. We're all the same. But that's not what happened. <laughs> what ended up happening was the, 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 the participants of the study, they grabbed their identity. So if they were prison guards, they took it so seriously that they started creating psychological abuse that was so brutal, they had to stop the thing before a week ended. And the professor commented on these prison guards that a week before were just students. They said many of them showed sadistic tendencies. And on the other extreme, these prisoners who a week ago were at the same level, when they looked at themselves, when the, 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 the guards couldn't beat them up, so what they would do is say, hey, we can't really touch you, but what you guys should do as prisoners is you guys should mess with this other prisoner who's annoying us, and when you guys, if you don't do it, we'll put you in solitary confinement, and they did it. They were doing things that they would have never have done because of these temporary identities. They took them on so seriously. Our behavior is drives, comes from our identity. When I think about new identities, even in a temporary way, one of my best examples that I could think of was when I was in Houston, Texas. It was, I was in a unique time in my life because for the first five years after college, I was working in the business world, but I felt like God was calling me to go into working in the church environment. And so an opportunity opened up in Houston where I could be an interim youth minister. And I was just going to say, all right, God, if, if this is something that you feel like you want to do, and I was going to kind of try it on. So I moved to Houston, Texas. And um, one of my friends in Houston, he was a JV basketball coach, which in Texas basketball isn't quite as big of a deal as it is here in Indiana. But he called me and he goes, all right, Jason, I have free tickets to the Houston Texans football game. Now here's the deal. I didn't even grow up near Houston. I don't like the Houston Texans, but I'm like, I'll go because it said free, and that sounds awesome. And so I started, we started driving to the game, and he said, all right. We started getting closer, and he goes, oh, I have a parking pass, by the way. And I'm like, that's even better. That's even more money that I don't have to pay. This is great. And we have a little tag like you do when you have a parking tag, and it was, it was for the silver lot. And so I'm like, whatever, we're going in, and we're, we're getting close. And if you've been to a big sporting event, you know this. Right before you get to the stadium, there's all sorts of traffic. So there's all this traffic, but it's weird. It seems like the police officers, when they see our car, it seems like they're almost stopping everyone else to let us through. So we're not really slowing down much. It's, it's, we're getting through the traffic incredibly fast. And I'm seeing signs, red lot over here, blue lot over here, white lot over here, yellow lot over here. But I'm not seeing silver, but I'm assuming my friend Chris knows where to go. And so Suddenly we get to a point where I'm like, oh, he doesn't know where to go because it comes to a dead end where you either have to turn right or left and there's barricades and they were barricading it off because of the pedestrians. And the street was barricaded, so I'm like, well, 
He's lost. He doesn't know where he's at. And all of a sudden, the police officer sees our silver tag, walks backwards, and opens up the barricades. Out of nowhere comes a motorcycle police officer to escort us in to the barricades. And I look at my friend Chris, and I'm like, dude, what is happening? And he goes, oh, did I not tell you? My dad's friends with the owner, and my dad couldn't come, so we have owner's box tickets today. And I was like, oh, this just got a lot better. Uh, so we start, we're being led in by a motorcycle. We're in like a 12-year-old Honda Civic, um, which is a great car. And like great gas mileage, great resale value, a lot of mileage on it. But people are looking at us like, who are these dorks, you know? And I'm just like, hi. I totally deserve to be here. Um, enjoy your walk. And so we, we literally parked from probably here to the baptismal from the entrance. We go in. He gives me the ticket, which is actually a giant lanyard. We go in, show our giant lanyard to the guy taking the tickets. He gets on his walkie-talkie, tells us to move to the side. A guy arrives out of nowhere wearing a suit, and he's like, hello, my name is Garrett. I'm going to be your personal assistant for the day. And I'm like, dude, we got a Garrett. This is awesome. Uh, <laughs> So everyone else goes up a ramp. We go down a secret ramp, which leads to a secret hallway, which leads to a secret elevator, which elevates us up to the elevator opening. And it was like angels were singing at the most beautiful, biggest suites I have ever seen for the owner of a football team that I could care less about. <laughs> Uh, I'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt, by the way, because I didn't get the memo. Everyone else is dressing like an owner. Um, I am not, but we got Garrett. We said yes to every question he asked us. Um, they have really good food in there, by the way. Um, if you ever go to most sporting events, it's like hot dogs, and no offense to the hot dogs out there. Oh, should have picked a better food. Um, <laughs> those hot dogs are awesome. Um, uh, but... Uh, <laughs> I didn't think about that till this service that I've just offended so many volunteers. Thank you um, for serving. Uh, they had nachos with fake cheese. And uh, then we, uh, that's what you normally eat. What we got, I mean, we had prime rib and lobster and nachos with real cheese. And it was, it was so good. Before the game started, we got there really early. Garrett's like, hey, do you guys want to go down the field and watch the drills? I'm like, is that a thing? Can we do that? And he's like, yeah, your ticket says owner. Everybody thinks you own this place. Like, literally, you own the building. Where do you want to go? And I'm like, yeah, that sounds awesome. So we're right in front. By the way, they had, like, VIPs that were, like, standing on the sideline. We got to, like, pass the VIPs because we owned the place for a week. And so we're standing there watching them do drills. The, the coaches are like coming up to us being like, well, we have a good game plan today. And I'm like, well, you better because your job's on the line. You know, like we are, uh... it, was, it was so good. And for about five hours, and I think we were the last one to lead that suite. After the game, by the way, they do this thing where the players they, and they won, so they were in a good mood. The players, they get invited to, to a dinner, and we're like, we're for sure staying for that. Like, we did not want to leave because for about five hours or so, we had an amazing gift as a, with a, as a new identity. And when people saw us, they did not see youth pastor. They did not see JV basketball coach. When people saw us, what they saw was, that is a friend of the owner. 
And it led to a behavior that came that was different than we normally would be able to act. And for us, we are sons and daughters of the king. We are beloved. And we are holy ones. I hear this phrase around church, and maybe you've heard it, and maybe you say it, and I don't mean to offend you. And here's the phrase I hear a lot around church. I hear this phrase. Well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And here's the deal. What I like about that saying is what you're saying is that my grace was not dependent on anything that I've done. There's a level of humility there, which I appreciate, but it's it's incomplete at best. Because what the Bible says is, no, 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 you're not just a sinner saved by grace. You were a slave to sin, as Romans 6 says. You were a slave to sin, but you've died to that because of Christ. You've died to that identity. You're living a new identity. And that might feel like a semantics argument, but here's why I think it's important. Because if you look at yourself as just a sinner saved by grace, then when you make a mistake, you just think, well, that's just who I am. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And what I want you to see is you're more than just a sinner saved by grace. You are a saint that's been restored to glory. Does that mean you're going to live a perfect life? No. But when you make mistakes, you're not being who you are. You're actually being someone that you're not when you make mistakes. You're a saint. You're a holy one. And as the Bible says, my prayer for us is that we would live in a manner worthy of that calling. When God sees you, He sees you as a son and daughter. He sees you as beloved. And he sees you as a saint, even if in your own heart that's hard for you to picture. That's how he sees you. And if he's God, how God sees you is our true identity. So why do we remember it? Because it reminds us who and whose we are. The second one is this. We remember because it teaches our kids. When we remember who God is and what God has done, it teaches the next generation about him. Exodus 12, that same passage talking about the Passover, it says this, when you enter that, the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe the ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. If you go to a modern day Passover, the Seder dinner, they actually do this. They'll usually have the youngest sibling ask that question, what does this ceremony mean to you? And it gives the parents an opportunity to go back thousands of years and talk about who God is and what he did. And for us, God wants for us whatever is stirring in our hearts to not just in there, but to pass that love on to the next generation. And the reality here, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time here, but the reality is that our kids are watching us. Our kids are watching us. They want to know if what we say about God, if we live that out, if it's real. I know for my daughter, uh, I am humbled by that responsibility because she watches me, man. She's starting to mimic me now, which is really fun. She wrestles like I do. She plays like I do. She dances like I do, unfortunately. Um, But I know as she gets older, she's going to watch me. She's going to watch the way that I treat women. She's going to watch the way that I treat people that don't look like me. She's going to watch the way that I treat our neighbors. She's going to watch the way that I spend or hoard our money. She's learning about God from watching my wife and I. And she wants to know, 
is the way that I'm living my life at home, is it different than the God that I'm speaking about on, on, on stages like this? Um, we, had, we had Father's Day last weekend. Uh, it's crazy. I'm still so young that it's crazy to me that I get to be celebrated. I'm so young in my fatherhood. Uh, I think we have a picture of me trying to teach my daughter. Um, I love tacos. I'm trying to show her to love tacos as well. I think it's working. Um, <laughs> seems pretty pumped by those. Uh, and while we're showing pictures, I think she might want to show you this one. Uh, if you can't read that, that says that her little sister is coming in December. Yeah. Thanks. We're pumped about that. Now, she looks, she looks pumped there, but then I had to tell her that she was going to have to share everything she owns, and that happened. Uh, <laughs> like, wait a second. But our kids are watching us. And maybe you were like me this week in the news, and you, got, you saw that thing that happened in Colorado on a baseball field for seven-year-olds, a super serious seven-year-old Little League game that was umpired by a 13-year-old. I don't know if you saw the news. But basically, and it's so sensationalized, but basically, I guess, I don't know the details, but apparently one group of parents didn't like the call that this expert 13-year-old umpire was making, and they were being very vocal about that. And then the other team's parents were standing up for him. And the next thing you know, on a field for seven-year-old, you have mommies and daddies fighting each other coming to blows. And you, when I first watched it, you just kind of get caught up, like there's a fight happening and you're watching it. And then and it's maybe because I work with some of the kids here, I started noticing in the background and remembering, no, 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 those, that's a place that's supposed to be safe for seven-year-olds. And you see these seven-year-olds and some of them are just frozen, trying to comprehend why the dads and moms are fighting over a game that at the end of it, they're probably more concerned with what beverage they're getting than they are with the score. And you see some of the kids running away and crying at this pitiful behavior. And our kids are watching us. And I'm not here to like shame you about that. The reality is my wife and I, we make jokes all the time. Like we hope that Olivia and our new baby they go to counseling for different reasons than we did. Um, none of us are going to be perfect at this. And God, I, we have a God who is perfect and will fill in the gaps. But man, I'm not going to have, Sam's not going to come out here and play Cat in the Cradle to shame you guys a little bit more. And if you don't know that song, it is a real bummer. Um, <laughs> But man, our kids are watching us, and it's important for us to develop rhythms that show them who God is and what he does. So we remind ourselves to remember who we are. We remind ourselves because our kids are learning from us. It teaches our kids. And the third reason why we remind ourselves who God is and what he's done is because we're prone to wander, aren't we? Our hearts are prone to wander. It happens all the time while reading through Exodus. It gets to a point where it's almost annoying. You're reading about these Israelites who they've been set free. They're set free, and yet any sort of obstacle, they just start screaming. They want to go back. Why are we here? Why are you leading us out? In Exodus 14, it happens when they're getting pursued by Pharaoh. Pharaoh has set them free finally, and then they leave, and he goes, you know what? I really liked them as slaves. I liked that free labor. Let's go get them back. And he's chasing them, and they find themselves where the, 
it, where the Egyptians are pursuing them and they're pinned up against the water and they don't realize that there's about to be a beautiful miracle of the parting of the Red Sea. And so they're sitting there and they start crying out. And it says this in Exodus 14. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Hit pause. How dramatic are these Israelites? That is what the, the youth call extra. Um, what have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. And you read Exodus and you see these Israelites anytime, oh, there's no water. Why are we here? Why aren't we slaves again? It was better as slaves. They start yearning for a past that God has called them out of. And you start reading it and you can get annoyed with them. Or for me, I look and I go, I do that all the time. When things get tough or maybe something triggers something in my heart, I am often prone to want to go back to a place that if I think about it from an outside perspective, I'm like, no, it's not good for me. No, it's not going to bring me life. Every time I've walked down that past, it's brought me to pain. It's brought pain to relationships. And I think God wants us to remember who he is and what he's done for those moments in our hearts when we yearn for a past to say, no, 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 no. I've called you out of that. And I'm better. I'm better. In that same church in Houston, there's a family that I got to be close with. And their youngest child, they had three kids, and their youngest one was about to graduate high school. And yet they felt like they still had some to give when it came to teaching the next generation. So they started praying about an adoption. And they ended up meeting a guy who ran an orphanage in Russia, a Christian guy who, who ran an orf orphanage in Russia. And after a lengthy process, they finally met a, a, a boy that they felt like God was calling them to bring into their family. And so he was about six years old when he came, started being assimilated in their family, became a son and daughter of this beautiful family. And what they started doing was they said, maybe there are some other people at our church that are having that same yearning. So they had an idea, let's, let's fly the director of that orphanage, who's a Christian guy, who's praying for other Christian families. Let's bring him to our church, and maybe he could give, like, speak, and maybe there'd be some other families that felt the same way. So they flew him in, and they realized quickly that the plan was just for that, for that director to stay in their home. And they realized quickly that was a huge mistake. Because when he walked in the door... That little boy, he didn't think, he couldn't process that that guy was coming back to actually find other parents for his friends. What he thought was, this guy's coming to take me back to a place that I do not want to be. And he started screaming and ran away and hid. And it was very quick, it didn't take long for them to know Let's find a different place for him to stay and let's talk 
to this kid and talk to him, buddy, you're our boy. You're our son. You're not going anywhere. We're never giving you back. And I remember them telling me that story, and I remember thinking to myself, God, I want for my sin, and I want for my past to be so oppressive to me, to be so repulsive to me, that I handle it the same way that that boy did when he looked at that picture of the past. And for some of you, maybe God has brought you out of a very dark place. And maybe there are things that happen in your life that can trigger a desire to go back to this place because you know, even if you know it's not helpful to you, at least you know that there was parts of it that were comforting. That's what the Israelites did. And what I want you to see and why it's so important that we know our identity in him is that he's called you out of that. You're a son and daughter. You're beloved. You're a saint. And he's better than anything this world has to offer. So we remind ourselves who God is and what he's done. We do that because it reminds us who we are and whose we are. We do that because it helps teach the next generation about who he is and what he's done. And we do that because we're prone to wander. And the last reason, and we're going to end on this, the last reason that we remember is because when we remember who God is and what he's done, it gives God glory. He gets the glory he deserves when we hit pause and say, God, you showed up here. God, you are holy. God, you are majestic. God, you reign. That gives him glory when we remember. Exodus chapter 15, this is after God parted the Red Sea. The Israelites, they said, whoa, whoa, whoa. What just happened was beautiful. What just happened was powerful. Let's hit pause and literally write a song so that our kids can hear over and over again about the love of our God and the salvation of our God and the protection of our God. So I'm going to end with this. I'm just going to read a few of the verses. And my prayer is that maybe this would be a prayer for you. Maybe the best thing for you to do is just to close your eyes and to listen to the words and say, yes, God, yes, God, that is who you are. Or maybe the idea is for you to, to open your eyes and to see the words and to marinate on them and to, to say, yes, God, I believe that. And then after that, we're going to participate. And you can see some of the volunteers getting ready for communion. Because when Jesus was on earth, when he was about to leave with his disciples, he goes, hey, I'm about to go to the cross. And I want to do something that is going to change your identity. I'm going to do something that's going to set you free from being enslaved to sin. And I want you to hit pause in your life to remember that. To take the blood, which, to take the wine, which reminds me of his, the blood that was shed to take the bread, which reminds us of his body that was broken for us. So let's read together. And I, let me read to you this in Exodus 15. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, 
awesome in glory, working wonders. The Lord reigns forever and ever. Lord God, remind us who you are. Remind us what you've done for us by sending your son on the cross. And by doing so, God, may we grasp the new identity that you've given us as your sons and daughters, as beloved, as saints. May you stir in our hearts an affection that is so real and so genuine that it overflows to the next generation. And may you stir in us a love for your son that when things get tough here, that we don't wander like we so easily are tempted to do. And God, we do this and we ask this because you deserve the glory, because you are majestic, because you are our salvation. God, in these next few moments as we take communion, stir in our hearts, stir in our minds a remembrance of you and the gift that you've given us through your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.